Hello there, you're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I am Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend like we always do every show. Which is good because we need consistency and that's also the name of our show. And you can switch it up next week if you want to, Dylan. You don't have to read it exactly how it is written. You can throw some spice into there. Yeah, I'll change up the wording a little bit. Yeah, do it. But we will also be giving some quick spoiler-free reviews on an assortment of 2022 films that we have seen over the past few months. This is the Spring Crab Bag. start with some uh some news we've got uh hollywood stars and celebrities what crimes do they commit do they know how to be law-abiding citizens let's find out we're gonna start off with mr ezra miller who has yet again been arrested in hawaii this time he uh got upset that people asked him to leave and he picked up a chair and he threw it at a woman's head yeah you know i've 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 never been asked to leave an establishment before because I'm a, a very proper human being. But I know that if I was asked to leave, my first reaction would not be to throw a chair at a random woman's head. Yeah, not good. So when we were going to see, what was crazy was uh, it was like he got arrested the same time that he was uh, supposed to appear in court for the previous <laughs> time. time. Yeah, that's funny. But then knowing that, the judge was like, okay, uh, he's got to pay like $500 or something like that for a fine for whatever happened last time. And then they let him go. What? So he's back out in the streets of Hawaii. God, damn which is it. crazy. Like this man is clearly get him out of Hawaii. Get him mental... out of Hawaii. He's done enough damage. <laughs> I saw someone said like every episode of Hawaii five Oh from now on, is just going to be based on Ezra Miller, but they need to, someone needs to step in and stop whatever is happening because clearly there's a mental breakdown happening and he is spiraling and he needs help. Yeah. Or this is going to keep happening. And I don't know why they didn't throwing chairs at women's heads. Yeah. Like hold him, hold him somewhere. So he stops doing this and then get him, get him into some like institution or whatever, where he can get help because this is crazy. And it doesn't seem like it's going to stop anytime soon. If nothing has changed, nothing has changed from the last time that yeah. he was out there on the streets of Hawaii. The same thing is going to keep happening. Ezra Miller needs a padded chair with him all the time so that when he gets the urge to throw it, it doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that hopefully there will not be another yeah. installment of reporting on Ezra Miller getting arrested. And hopefully it doesn't have like an even tragic, a more tragic ending than people getting hit in the head with chairs. But yeah. Yeah, that needs to needs to get taken care of. Yeah. And moving on to the next part of our Hollywood stars and celebrities, what crimes do they commit? Do they know how to be law-abiding citizens? Let's find out. We have the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation slash libel trial. 
which is their second. They had one, I believe, in the UK mm-hmm. like a year or two or three ago, something like something that. About that, yeah. And now, I don't know what the difference is, but they're doing it in some county where it is public, so we can see the complete videos of everything that's going down in that courtroom and it's wild like they had a horrible relationship oh yeah it was insane he was doing all kinds of drugs with paul bettany and marilyn manson yeah the last two people who i imagine him hanging out with (laughs) very odd choice and now paul bettany has to like uh testify about his drug use which is also Mm -hmm. crazy just crazy texts that they send each other God, so this whole thing is very weird. Like they just, they should just separate and never be in the same room again and then just leave it and then whatever. They've done that, but uh, they definitely separated. But the only time they come into contact is in a courtroom when they're trying to say, hey, this person was abusing me or hey, this person was defaming me by saying that they were abusing me or saying that I abused them. It was a whole, whole ordeal, crazy stuff. Like the things that you hear, the phone calls that they have, the recordings, the secret oh, recordings yeah. that each of them have on each other. It's just insane. But what is even more insane is for Warner Brothers, who has Amber Heard coming out in the Aquaman film next year, as well as the star of the Flash movie, which is supposed to rewrite the whole DCEU. They yeah. pin their hopes on that. And now their star is currently spiraling. So not good for them and their major projects in these next few years maybe the end of the the flash movies ezra miller's character dies and he takes amber heard with him oh my god mara mara tries to save him and they both just spiral and then die and then it's like oh no and that's how they rewrite they uh rewrite the dc universe it's just without those two people they write out all the problematic actors they have yeah that'd be funny funny. yeah they'll definitely have to address this stuff at some point because yeah, it's a PR disaster, left and right. Yep. Now into non-crime-related news, we have our first Thor trailer. Trailer, fuck. We have our first <laughs> Thor trailer, and uh, it's fun. It looks good. I think so too. I am excited for one of my selections for the box office draft. I think it will turn out quite well. Yeah, you bitch. We saw a nice little dynamic between Thor and the Guardians. We saw Natalie Portman as Thor donning all that gear, catching Mjolnir, whatever Mjolnir. the name was. Mjolnir. Jonathan? Pardon? Nothing. It was a reference to something. Just move on. <laughs> uh, other than that, there is a new title for the Fast and Furious 10 film. It is called Fast X, and it sounds kind of like a porno. Fast. XXX. We well, yeah, have Vin Diesel who starred in a film called XXX. I don't think he's too afraid of You're right. any misinterpretations. So yeah, yeah we have family. <laughs> we have Fast X. Uh I will still not be seeing it because I still haven't watched the, the film that I was supposed it. to watch from the cinema showdown. Yeah. What the fuck, man? I'll get there. We'll get You're there. supposed to watch that. Do you think uh we have to have think Ryan Mayers watch Skyfall? Probably not. We have to have our movie night. Fucking. Well, we got to do the third one because we're doing a third one later this year. Another cinema showdown later this year. So tune in for that. And then we got to do a triple feature. Exactly. Should be a really weird triple feature. 
<laughs> it'll be a good time that's for sure for sure we also have andy circus coming hot off the heels of venom 2 he's going to make an animated animal farm film the classic novel from george orwell yeah that sounds terrible it sounds terrible. It sounds really, really bad. Why? I feel like it's going to be... I don't know. It just sounds bad already. Like the idea. I don't know. I'm just getting bad vibes from it. I can't explain it. <laughs> but I guarantee you, with 100% certainty, that my bad vibes will check out and that the movie will be bad. Like, I can guarantee it with 100% certainty. Okay, well, we will Those see. the bad vibes I'm getting. We will see about that. I'm wondering what exact type of animation are they going? That's also <laughs> Lion like, King that animation. Will, That'd be hilarious. That, that would will be factor great. into just how bad it is. That would be great to see. But yeah, the animation style, I think, definitely will be a crucial part of it. If it's but, not 2D, it's bad, no matter what. Mm-hmm. If it's not 2D, if they try to do a 3D animated animal farm, it will be bad. I will 100% guarantee it. Yeah. But I, I am intrigued by it. I'm very intrigued. And it's a, I believe it was a project Circus has been trying to work on for quite some time. So Interesting. maybe the passion that he will bring to it. Maybe he's always had a clear idea for this Animal Farm adaptation. Yeah. And much like James Cameron for Avatar, he was like, I need to wait until the technology catches up to my vision. So we may have the next Avatar on our hands with Animal Farm. Could you imagine it makes... Three billion dollars. <laughs> that be becomes the richest filmmaker on earth because he gets fifty percent, <laughs> bro. The odds. Uh, and in other news, Spider Verse has been delayed to June twenty twenty three, which I did not know was happening until I just read it right now, live in the air. And I am very sad, though I am also very glad that I did not pick that for our uh, box office draft. Yeah, that would have been. Second devastating that would have yeah but that is very sad i was really looking forward to watching it this year but it was one of your most anticipated it was top five yeah but that got fucked i guess but uh, i'm anticipated for it for next year that and and, uh john wick four are gonna come out in the same month that'll be cool it's true good month maybe it'll come out on my birthday that year that would be i think it's early june i could be wrong i think madam webb might come out on your birthday (laughs) Oh, thanks. Maybe, I could just, maybe it'll come out and I'll wait four weeks to watch it on my birthday. Exactly. There you go. I can't do it. I already know I can't. All right, now moving on. Our, oh, God damn it, Ryan. I'm doing it. <laughs> now let's do our box office breakdown for April fifteenth. April fifteenth to the seventeenth. Good old Easter weekend. Coming in first, without a doubt, Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, forty-two million dollars. Indeed, that was below both of our predictions. Yeah. But it was able to cross $40 million, so it doesn't look too horrible for them. Yeah. Still not a good look at all. And according to Critics Reviews, even though I haven't seen that movie or the second in that series, it's still bad. So uh, I guess I'm not missing out. Yeah, exactly. We have Sonic the Hedgehog 2, second place with $29 million. Good hold, to be honest. Yeah. It had 118 million domestic total. That's cool. So it's well on its way to surpassing the first Sonic's gross. Bro, how sad would it be if 
I should have picked Sonic 2 instead of Bullet Train to replace the Flash. That'd be sad. <laughs> I don't think it'll we'll be. I don't think it'll be that crazy. I still think Bullet Train's a good wild card choice just yeah. because of the potential it could make. Yeah. Um, I'm willing but... to risk it. Also, what else would I have picked? Spider Verse. <laughs> that didn't fucking work out, did it? Very How true. sad would that be if I had picked Spider Verse and then that got pushed? How cursed. Uh, the Lost City. After Sonic the Hedgehog made six point two million, indeed, and right on its heels, everything, everywhere, all at once, six point one million. It did another theater expansion, so it went up two percent this week. Now didn't have a drop at all, so good for them. It's still yeah. gaining traction. Hopefully, more and more people will continue to see it and keep smaller, independent, original, creative films alive. Yeah. After that was Father Stew, the Mark Wahlberg movie that not many people saw. It made $5 million. It did. And it beat out Morbius in its third weekend. As it, had, it should. <laughs> it had $4.7 Not many people were trying to see that on Easter, apparently. And it has now crossed $65 million domestic. It will not be hitting the century mark. Wow. Sad. Very bad for Sony. Yeah. The Batman made $3.7 million. Indeed, and it also just came out on HBO Max. So its legs will continue to be cut, but we will see how much it's able to gross and continue to add to your box office draft total. Yep. And after that was KGF Chapter 2. That was $2.8 million. Mm-hmm. And rounding out the top 10, Uncharted, 1.1 million. It's weird that it's still there. It is, but it's about to get kicked out. Tom Holland will be leaving the top 10 after like 18 or 19 weeks. Good. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, now it's time for our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend, the 22nd to the 24th. One of the first things that's coming out is a DreamWorks animated film called The Bad Guys. Um, there's not a lot of animated stuff out right now. So I would say it doesn't have a lot of competition in that regard. So 11, 12 million. Gotcha. I'll go a little bit higher. I'll say 17 million. All right. I think it looks pretty good. Actually, all these films are well received by critics. At least they all have at or over 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. Even the bad guys. Yeah. So good selection of films to go see so i think it'll get some nice word of mouth between families and we'll get to 17 million cool also coming out this weekend is the northman the robert eggers viking revenge film which i'm going to see tonight after we finish recording this and i think it will do do is it like a full wide release or is it a limited release I believe it's a wide release. I think it is too. It'd be crazy not to because it has like a $70 million budget. Really? Wow. But let me... In that case, I will say $25 million. No, $23 million. I'll say $23 million. $23 million? Interesting. Uh, let me see. I don't think it'll get that much, which would be sad. But I think it'll... It'll crack 13 million, I think. You think the bad guys will do better? Might be able to get 15 million. Well, Northman's rated R, isn't it? Yeah. And the bad guys is a family film. There's not been a lot of ads for it. 
Yeah. Aside the one on the subway that didn't have the title. So wait, what? What was it? Did you not see that? They no, I didn't. in like the New York um, subway stations, they'll always post like ads or whatever for yeah. an upcoming movie, and they put the Northman there, but they never put the Northman, the actual title. So it's just the big picture of the poster, and it didn't have the title at all. <laughs> Which honestly was a good because it got picked up by social media and. Everyone was joking about it, so it probably did spread yeah, the word so a bit more than a regular it. campaign. That's really funny. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> it just says only in theaters April 22nd. And it's just a picture of Peter Sarsgaard or Alexander Sarsgaard with just his shirt off. Exactly, yeah. This is great. Um, so I'm looking at it. So The Bad Guys is in 4,000 theaters. Uh-huh. The Northman, uh, 3,200. So yeah, wide release pretty much. Unbearable weight. 3,000. So yeah, they're all wide. Okay, so for the Nicolas Cage one, A Bearable Way to Massive Town, which is also coming out this weekend, I'll say 30. I think it's got hype around it. Well, I don't think it has that much hype. I think it has hype. I think it's a bit more of a niche. Like for, in the film world, it's definitely got a bunch of hype around it, because everyone is like, this is a hilarious concept. The fact that it's actually happening is super cool. But I don't know if it's got enough appeal to get like 30 million i think that'd be great i mean i know but i don't think it's gonna get that wild i will also um it'll definitely crack 10 million i don't think it'll crack 20 million i'll sit it at around 15 million all right well we'll see next week we indeed will that's also an R-rated one, so that could... That's true. So yeah, Northmen, Unbearable Weight, don't have family potentials. I definitely mm-hmm. think bad guys will come out on top. You're saying... You have the reverse of me, it looks like. You're saying that Unbearable Weight will come out on top. Bad guys will be the worst of the three. I could see bad guys and Northmen switching positions in my ranking, but I have a good feeling about Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I mean, we'll see. Okay. We definitely will. Yep. All right. Now we can move on to our grab bag, Woo. which is going to be funny because <laughs> we have not seen the movies that the other person picked to talk yeah. about. And also, I'm only talking about like one movie. Yeah. So it'll be pretty quick. We'll go through them quickly. It'll just be a little discussion of what the movie's about. Little things here and there that we enjoyed about it, but no spoilers, no in-depth discussions, nothing like that. So first, I'm going to bring up two movies that are pretty similar in the fact that both of them take place largely in one single location. Both of them, I guess, were conceived and executed in the pandemic. The first is The Outfit, which stars Mark Rylance, Dylan O'Brien, Zoe Deutsch. It is written by Graham Moore, also directed by Graham Moore, who was the writer for The Intimidation Game. The man also won an Oscar for it. So did you did you mean the imitation game? Yeah, did I not say the you, you oh, intimidation game? The intimidation game. <laughs> I was trying to like I was trying to think of like is that like a low budget like Bruce Willis movie or something? What is the intimidation game? That is so funny. That's hilarious. So yeah, not to be confused with the intimidation game. Graham Moore wrote That's a great name though. That's a good title. <laughs> For real. The imitation game. And won the Oscar for it. This film, The Outfit, is about a gentle, soft-spoken British 
Kata, he's not a tailor. He's a cutter. Kata. There's a difference. He's very particular about that difference. I don't know oh. what the difference is, but he's Me a cutter. Uh, and he gets caught up in these Chicago mob wars because his little cutter place, whatever, is used as a drop point for a particular Chicago mob. And then things go wrong. Someone gets shot up. They're trying to go after this MacGuffin, this recording of the mob uh, boss saying things about their locations. So one mob is trying to get to that MacGuffin. So he gets caught in this little game that's going on, this war between them all during one night. And overall, I think it's a pretty good film. I definitely don't think it's... I mean, I had the expectations going in of, okay, we got this man writing a contained thriller about mob stuff in 1950s Chicago. Yeah. And he won an Oscar for Imitation Game. This man is about to pop off here. Not quite up to that caliber. Not at all. But there were some things of the writing that I very much enjoyed. Um, there is one conversation between Mark Rylance and then the mob boss. They make a parallel between the tools that each of them use. The tools like the shears of the cutter and then the gun of the mobster and how that allows everything to fit into place for each of their worlds. I think that was pretty good. Um, and then there are some other choices. There's a particular choice around the midpoint that I think was great. I think was bold and surprising. Did not expect them to actually uh, follow through with it. And then it made like it switched up the plot so that now we sort of change from the main MacGuffin thing to a different sort of trying to keep things hidden and whatnot. So I liked that they made that choice as well. However, there were other parts of the writing that did not land very well at all. There's this dynamic that they try to establish between Mark Rylance's character and Zoe Deutsch's character, which is like a surrogate father-daughter relationship. And it felt very boilerplate to me. It felt very flat. Like it seemed like an obvious, like the most obvious way to try and get an emotional hook from the audience with these two characters. And for me, I just didn't care. I just didn't believe it. Their interactions weren't sucking me into their stories at all. Sure. So that part was not great. And it left me feeling not emotionally invested in any of the characters, which mm -hmm. took a hit on the suspense that I'm feeling when it gets to the points where crazy things are about to happen. And I wasn't as on the edge of my seat as I would have been had I been really invested in these characters. But yeah, overall, some good things that are there, other things with certain twists that they try to build up to. I don't know why they build up to it so much because it was glaringly obvious that they have some other twists that they throw in at the very end yeah. that are less obvious to pick out, but then they feel a little bit more contrived because it's like, okay, well, no one could have possibly picked out some of those things, but I guess it's all coming together. So overall, not a terrible thriller by any means just not one of the true greats it's not gonna stand out i don't think stand the test of time too much yeah. but it was compelling enough to keep me sitting in the theater when i watched it so my star rating for that will be a three three star okay mm -hmm. all right now windfall which like i said was a pretty similar film this that came out I've heard of you have yes yeah. it's on netflix Stars the boy Jesse Clemens, Lily Collins, Jason Siegel. This one, I, I know for sure it was conceived during the pandemic because the writer of it, one of the writers of it, 
actually went to our school, was in the program I'm in with ScreenRap. Wow. And then went on to the uh, graduate program at American Film Institute, and then went on to make two films before this one. But yeah, so he co-wrote this, and then his director, collaborator, came in to direct this, who is Lily Collins' husband, which is funny enough. Um, so they all got together during the pandemic, came up with this idea, decided to uh, go ahead with it, and... There's some good things about this as well, but there are also some things that really fell flat. I think the general premise of it is always something that's like very, very interesting. You have a CEO played by Jesse Clemens, the wife played by Lily Collins. None of them have names. Um, and then the guy, I forget what his actual name was. We should call him Jason Siegel. He robs them as they come into their vacation home. Yeah. But he's not like a terrible guy or a bad robber or anything. He's just, he's like in there trying to steal things while they weren't there. They happen to show up. They happen to see him. So then I was like, crap, I got to take care of this. Sure. Um, and so he locks them in a sauna in their back porch, tries to leave. And as he's about to get away, like 20 minutes into the film, he suddenly sees, uh-oh, there's a camera hidden in this tree that I parked under. So they saw my face. They're going to be able to get me. Now I can't leave. So he has to go back to the house and they have to make an arrangement for him to get a massive amount of money so that he'll be able to disappear. So I like that premise as well. I think it's a really pretty, good premise. Yeah. It's a pretty solid premise. And it forces them to like stay together for this whole weekend as they wait for that money to come down. Um, and then, of course, that allows us to get into the dynamics between the characters. And I also think they did really great things here by having the CEO they're they're like an Elon Musk type but it's a little bit more like crazy flamboyant like it's eccentric. a hmm? eccentric yeah it's a good way to put it but then he's also just so like condescending as well yeah. and he his job I guess is to go into companies and then reform them and like cut off the fat which of course will mean layoffs and the like. So we assume Jason Siegel must have gotten hit by some of those layoffs, but I like that they never have a scene where he goes, I'm so angry at you. This is why I personally robbed you. Like they never do that. And they, they never really confirm that he was personally laid off. We just know that he needs a bunch of money for whatever reason. So I like that they went that route and they have like this social commentary a bit, like this debate between the CEO going, oh, well, why should I care that I laid you off if it meant that the company survived and then a hundred other people were able to continue with their jobs? And then Jason Siegel's whole bit is like, no, you're completely remorseless about this. And look at you lounging around in your luxurious vacation home. So I like that they went that route. I also like that they included strife between the CEO and the wife. Like they're at odds. What I didn't like is a lot of the reasons that they explained why they had that strife. Um, when they try to have the wife talking with Jason Siegel, some of the things just felt not entirely believable to me. Like I never really understood why they got together in the first place, like why they ever got into the marriage, why she did. So know, that's why it sort of didn't feel as tragic that they're like pulling themselves apart here. But what truly made the film fumble was at the very end, 
they took some bold choices and they did not land at all. I don't think they were very motivated by what we had learned about the characters up to that point. So it was it left a bad taste in my mouth for sure. And then the the runtime of the film is a crisp 90 minutes. So you think, oh, it's a breeze. Turns out, no, it felt lengthy. It felt like there were many times where they're padding the length, which is kind of sad. Um, like there wasn't enough meat on the bones to carry through. So another film that I was quite intrigued by going into, but ultimately did not live up to being a great film or a very good film. Mm -hmm. I gave it a 2.5. Damn. Indeed. Uh, so my first pick uh, is one that I'm not even going to get too much into the details with because we're going to have a whole show about it next week. It's Everything Everywhere All at Once. It was in our top 10 this week. Uh, it is a phenomenal film from A24 from the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shywart. Is that his name? Shywart? <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it until Shwarba. I... Shywart? Shynart. Shynart. <laughs> I was so close. I want you, you to know that I, I didn't think I, would, I was actually that close. Daniel Shynart and Daniel Kwan, uh, who also did Swiss Army Man, which I have not seen. This movie is fantastic. It is brilliant. It is amazing. And I loved it. And we're going to go into like, actual details about it next week because I don't want to say anything about it because ryan hasn't seen it yet i want him to go in completely blind have you seen the trailer no i want you to go in completely blind and not know what it's going to be about at all because it is amazing and if you want me to go with you i probably will but i think you want to go alone maybe gotcha i mean i'll end up seeing it i don't know i could drag my family to see it as well all right if you do that then, to spread the word then yes i won't go but if you're if it seems like you're going alone just invite me i'll go bro i love it i would love to see it a third time Gotcha. All right. After that, Morbius, which you did not see. True. Which I kind of did not see either because I sort of half fell asleep while watching it in the theater. I can't believe you went and saw it. That's crazy Dude. to me. I mean, I have a bunch of free movie tickets, basically. So I was like, why not? I had to go see what could be the height of cinema in the 21st century. Turns out Morbius is not that. Nope. Who would have thought? It's just so, from what I even saw of it, it's just so stupid and generic Yep. and bland. Like, it's yep. not even one of those that you can watch and have a good time at how bad everything is. Damn. It's one of those, it's just so. So it's not like Venom, it's just bad. No, yeah, no, because I enjoyed Venom. I know you did. And I even enjoyed Venom 2, which, did you ever see that one yet? Nope. Never saw it. Yeah, I did see the first one. Uh, what am I saying? But I did not see Venom 2. That one, I still think, has a lot of elements that are just really fun. Just so stupid and so fun. This sure. one doesn't have that at all. Like, it it just... It's not even worth your time to go pirate it, see it on the big screen, Good, see it on your tablet. Just not. It, like, no thought should be given to Morbius anymore. Yeah, fuck that. Nothing. How, would you, how would you rate it? Of it was a failed experiment. I give it like a 1.5 or a 2, I think. I don't uh, know. Just give it a 1.5. Why not? The one, that would be our lowest rating, I think, is if you gave it a 1.5. The good thing that rating. I could say about it, though, is that it has pretty good VFX. People were saying, like, oh, the VFX is horrible. 
I think what they did with some of the like bat uh radar stuff. Mm-hmm. That stuff was pretty cool. Not gonna lie. So right. I enjoyed that bit, but the rest of it was not great. Yeah, I think yeah. gave it a two. Because it's not like a terrible, terrible film. Like, oh my god, it's awful. It's just it's so generic and easily predictable. It's just nothing. And yeah, it's just not good. It's nothing. Anyway, my next pick, now that you've shit on Morbius, is <laughs> Turning Red, which is the Pixar animated movie that came out must have been like a month ago now. Uh I'm kind of sad that it never got to hit theaters. Like it just I think it went straight to Disney Plus, which is kind of yes. sad. Because it was actually pretty good. Like, I had a great time. It's kind of rated low for the audience on, I think, IMDb, which I don't understand why. Well, I think like, that was, I don't know, there's something to do with parents being upset that they talked about periods or something. Oh. And they were I like, don't know how that much that affected, though. Well, I guarantee you it was, because it's been like, there's been think pieces and whatnot coming out of really? uh, articles and, Yeah. I don't understand what the issues. I mean, the way I mean, they barely talk about periods. It's literally a bit in the first fifteen minutes of the movie, and then they never talk about it again. Like, it's not like the whole plot of the movie is the, is like the idea of her becoming a woman and her having a period. Like, that's not the point. The point, like, the whole idea is it's about generational trauma, kind of like in Canto. But mm-hmm. I also think it does the job of telling that whole generational trauma idea better than in Canto. My yes. thing with both of these movies is they don't quite stick the landing with the message or the story, kind of. Mm. But Encanto sticks it even less, if that makes any sense. Like, this one gets a little closer to hitting that uh, nail on the head a little bit when it comes to generational drama. But, like, it's it's good. It's animated very, very well, of course. It's very... For Pixar film, the style of animation is very unique. It reminds me a lot of like the Mitchells versus the Machines or like, uh, what's it called? Spider-Verse, where you're not just doing general straightforward animation. You're cutting around. You're doing interesting, sort of modern, quirky things that you wouldn't expect to see in a movie or at least a good one. So like it, it's fun to see uh, animators try something new instead of just trying to rehash what they've been doing for hundreds of years and trying to make it their own. And it's definitely like this director's it's, it's her own, you know, movie. Like it's very uniquely hers and it's definitely very uniquely her story, like very, very personal. And I could, you, like, you can feel how personal it is watching it. And that definitely helps sell the movie really well. Uh, it's funny, has a lot of moments that made me laugh, which I'm noticing is more and more rare these days. I don't know if movies are just getting less funny or if my humor is changing, but it's very rare for a movie to make me laugh. And uh, Turning Red made me laugh a bit. And Everything Everywhere All at Once made me laugh a lot. Which is a good thing. But yeah, Turning Red is good. I give it a 4 out of 5. Big Red Pandas. 4 out of 5. There you go. Nice. So solid recommendation from Dylan. I think Fernando put it best when he said that it is the best Pixar film since Coco. But not quite better than Coco. Like, think about all the Pixar gotcha. movies that have come out since Coco. It's better than all those ones, which is good because those ones were very good. Except for Toy Story than Soul. I, think, uh, I didn't like Soul that much. Huh? I just didn't. Better than it Toy Story 4? It might 4? not be better than Toy Story 4, but that's just because I'm a sucker for Toy Story. It might not be better than Toy Story 4. I'm just a sucker for Toy Story, so I think 
maybe that's a bit higher on the scale for me. But at the same time, Toy Story 4 wasn't like, I mean, it made me cry, but it wasn't like the greatest story when you really look at it. But it's still a good movie. I think they might be tied for different, very different reasons. Like, it's hard to compare the two. Gotcha. Well, all right. Turning red. I will have to catch it sometime soon. Yeah, that and the Mitchells versus the Machines. Very true. Like, I'm telling you, you will enjoy it. I will. I just got to get around to it. At some point, it'll happen. It'll be in a later, in a grab bag catch up. When we episode. do our, uh, when we do the episode where we pick each other's movies to watch, I'm gonna make one of the ones I'm gonna make you watch is Mitchell's versus the Machines. Nice. Unless See, that's why I like, <laughs> I like doing the idea of that because then we can force each other to watch the movies that <laughs> we are always like, yeah, I'll watch it, I'll watch it, but then we never do. Now we can force I'll make you watch person. Fast Fucking Five. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Before Fast Six, <laughs> be crazy. Um. Okay, so my next film is titled X. X. It's from Ty West. It's a horror film. Crazy me bringing up a horror film. So weird. But. You hate that shit. I do, but this one is digestible. Like if they're slasher films, we talked about it before, but I can can do those. You should watch Texas Chainsaw since if you like this, I heard it's very adjacent. That's. Would make sense because this is about a group of kids in rural Texas in the seventies. But I don't know if in Texas Chainsaw Massacre they were trying to make a porno. Nope. Because in this film, that's what this group of folks going out there is trying to do. They're trying to make a porno, and then things start going wrong when their elderly hosts that have like hold the guest house and the house and the barn and all that. They find out, and then Mm -hmm. things start going wrong. So once again, I think the premise of this film is great. Like, that's an amazing setup. And I also think it has a solid thematic core to it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, the, they explore those ideas of, like, this elderly couple who are no longer beautiful. They no longer are able to really be intimate with each other. And now they have these kids rolling up into their guest house, making these adult films having sex left and right everywhere being, I mean, they're beautiful as well, youthful. And so the jealousy that comes out of that, the frustration that comes out of it, it's an interesting way that they approach it. Um, So I like that they have that there, just a fun premise, but then also there's something deep, deeper beneath the surface. It's also a really fun film. It's a blast and a half, man. The cast, they get great performances. They all lean into it. Martin Henderson, who's like the producer, but also he's uh, the boyfriend to, I believe, yeah, the main girl, played by Mia Goth, who's great in it as well. Does a double performance. She, or he rather, he's just so funny. The way that, he's like the slimy used car salesman guy. But the way that he just goes about trying to get these people to let him do what he's trying to do in the guest house without revealing all of that information. Then also in the midpoint of the film, they have the, they have this, uh, the camera guy and he's just an actual film student and he's trying to make high art, like highbrow cinema through the porno, which is a great gag. And then at some point he's getting fed up with 
having to do all this and the way that Martin Henderson playing as a producer has to talk him down and get him back into doing all the uh, filming of the, the porno. It's hilarious though. So great comedic film. They also do another thing of they do cross cutting between Mia Goth, the star sitting down with the old lady and having lemonade. Yeah. Then they keep cutting that, which is a very filled with so much tension. Then they cut between that and the porno that they're making where it is also set over them getting lemonade because he's a weary traveler coming in and she's like, oh my gosh, let me cool you down. Hmm. Let me get you some lemonade. So they do fun things like that, play around with the filmmaking a lot. Uh, and then the kills as well. There's some great kills in here. Oh, wow. Like things that legitimately, I watched it, I think it was like opening weekend for it oh. or maybe the second weekend for it. Yeah. But everyone leaning back in their chair as kills were being shown to us on screen. It was great. It was a good experience. Cool. You should definitely see it. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. This is one of the ones that I wanted to watch that just passed me by. Like of all the movies you are talking about that I didn't see, this is really the only one that I do want to see. So I will give it a shot when I get a chance. What do you yeah. rate it? Out I'm of giving five it, bloody kills. I'm giving it four nice. bloody kills out of five. That's pretty solid for you for a horror movie. I know. It's good. My, it was just uh, a fun, fun experience. Yeah. My last choice is not anything new. In fact, quite old. I'm currently rewatching. This is taking up most of my time. This is why I have not seen a lot of movies. Is I'm currently rewatching Better Call Saul because they've released the fifth season on Netflix, and because the sixth and final season is coming out currently. And once it's all wrapped up after a few weeks, so that we can all finally catch up, you and I, Ryan, are going to do an epic Better Call Saul show as a sequel to our or a prequel, I should say, to our Breaking Bad episode. And I'm very excited about it because the more I watch Better Call Saul, every time I rewatch it or start to rewatch it, I remember how much I like it. And I like it like, like, I don't think I told you this when I first started it, like, like a very, like a half centimeter, like just a half centimeter less than Breaking Bad. Like it's so close, so ridiculously close that I can't believe they were able to follow up Breaking Bad with something that was almost as good as Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is the best. Yeah, it's Better Call Saul. Masterpiece right there like it's so close to being the best as well like it's so close to its high i think the only thing that breaking bad has over better call saul is just fundamentally a more exciting story like at the end of the day better call saul is mostly about saul and his journey as a lawyer with the people that are around him and his descent into scumminess whereas breaking bad it's just chock full of drugs and like better call saul (laughs) becomes more into that as it goes on but Right from the get-go, like Breaking Bad, like the stakes are just so high. Very true. And also having Brian Cranston, like, come on, and Aaron Paul. Yeah, just killing it. I mean, uh, Bob Odenkirk is also doing great. Like For sure, but then you also get that in Breaking Bad. I'm sure to a much better degree in Better Call Saul since he's the focus and they can go. I can't wait for you to start watching it. Yeah, I'm excited. You've only seen the first episode, right? Uh, yes, but I've forgotten most of it, so. I think I remember telling you this when I first started watching it, but I feel like Vince Gilligan and his writing staff just stepped up, like, their intention so much when it comes, like, to Better Call Saul, because I feel like Breaking Bad was definitely segmented in a lot of ways, 
where like the character journeys like definitely f- they flowed but you could tell like where they were like oh now let's try this now let's try that but here it just feels like they know exactly what they want to do and they have so much more control because they have so much experience and like feeling that while you're watching better call Saul is just fantastic nice well definitely catch up on that if you haven't already yeah because like you said we are going to do a great better call Saul special once it finishes out its sixth season yeah i give better call Saul five out of five nice incredible all right and then the final film that we are going to talk about is a newly released one on netflix it is apollo ten and a half a space age childhood by the way that's a great title apollo ten and a half not just for the plot itself but apollo 11 obviously the one that was the one that landed on the moon naturally this one is about a kid it's such a cute little premise very imaginative about a kid who was growing up in 1969, right when the moon landing happened, in Houston, where NASA is. Uh, and then they get selected by NASA in order to go to the moon because the lunar module that they made was too small for adults. So they have to first test it out by sending a kid in there, which is, of course, something that only like a child's mind would dream up as something that could possibly happen. Yeah. but. That's a great, nice little premise. And then the title, Apollo 10 and a half, is great because it's like the halfway point to Apollo 11, the one that will actually get them to the moon. But then when you're a kid, whenever you're asked how old you are, you always go, oh, I'm 10 and a half. Oh, I'm eight and three quarters. You never say you're like actual age. You're always trying to say you're a little bit older. Sure. So that's a great title. I still do that. You still? <laughs> I'm 21 and and, you know... Five six. It's hard to keep track nowadays. You don't yeah, think too much about math. how old you are. Twenty one and five six. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? You go and you talk to a grown adult, and they're like, "I'm forty five and three quarters." <laughs> <laughs> what, what an asshole! Yeah, they're funny, but this film, this is Richard Linklater. You may know from the whole Before trilogy and Boyhood yeah. and all that. I've seen the first one of that trilogy. We should do an episode on it because I want to watch the other two. I have written in my in the notes in our ideas section, I said we should do a Before trilogy. Oh, we perfect. should watch the have films all of them? nine months apart. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we can do a true... Wait, isn't it 11? Because it's 11 years apart. Wouldn't it be Is it? I thought it was nine years apart. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I'm... We could check. Now it. I feel However like many involved. it is apart, I think it'd be funny to re- to record, to like watch the movies that far and then do recordings, but then we release it as one full like trilogy at the end. You're right. I think it is nine because it's 95 and then 2004 and then 2000. Yeah, you're right. It's nine. Nice. But um, yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> we we should do it. <laughs> that would be funny. And we do a boyhood episode and we do it over the course of 12 years. Jesus Christ. We got to get started. Um, so yeah, Richard Linklater, this is animated and it does a pretty interesting, the like rotoscope animation style. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm always intrigued by. It always looks really cool. Um, and it's an autobiographical film pretty much. I mean, it's just him reflecting on his particular childhood in 1969 when he was living in Houston. So I love that they were able to take this film, which is, it's just essentially like a visual autobiography of him talking about the things that were going on in his life with his family. He had like five siblings, 
both of his parents, his father was working at NASA, but not a cool astronaut job. Oh. It was like doing a desk job, essentially. Fucking um, nerd. Paperwork. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to space, dad. Fuck you. Exactly. They like talk about that. Of course, upset that why can't dad do something cool at NASA? He would always make up lies and tell the other kids that he was one of the astronauts or engineers. Yeah. But I love that we just get to have this story of essentially Richard Linklater telling us about his childhood, giving us these very specific experiences of his. Yeah. Which for us, someone that only knows the information age, the 21st century, mm-hmm. social media, all that stuff, being able to see, okay, what was it like growing up in that time? It's cool. It's just like asking your parents or your uncle or aunt, your aunt, hey, what was it like when you were a kid? What were you doing when you were going into middle school and whatnot? It's just yeah. fun getting to hear those experiences that we'll never live through ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then they also pair it with one of the coolest things in humanity ever, the moon landing. Um, and so you get to see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get to see. That. <laughs> you sound like such a nerd. What are the I mean, is it not coolest things in human history? The moon landing. I mean, you can say it's nerdy or whatever. It's just also factual. So, I mean, evil can even saying... jump Devil's Canyon. You saying that that's not pretty cool? Because I think that's pretty damn cool. That's pretty cool. But is it the coolest thing in human history? I mean, it's pretty close. I mean, you <laughs> jump Devil's fucking Canyon, bro. No, like, I don't think on. so, brother. Dude. People's heads would explode if you told them a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, that you could land on Devil's Canyon. No. (laughs) They'd go, Devil's Canyon? Impossible. (laughs) You can never jump that. If you can jump Devil's Canyon on the moon, then I'll give it up to you. It'd be easier on the moon, actually. It would be, yeah. Then there's no challenge. That's the one before (laughs) at all. Are you kidding me? Evil Knievel jumping a canyon on the moon. That's, That's... if you jump shit, Devil's Canyon and land on the moon, then I'll give it to you. That's the coolest thing in human history. But he's dead. Well, now we'll never get it. Son of a bitch. Tra- he didn't dream big enough. <laughs> exactly. Devil's Canyon, too small. But yes, we get the whole getting to see the NASA mission from the perspective of kid and his family watching it on television, seeing how the whole thing plays out. But then it's cutting back and forth between him and his made-up imaginary mission that he went on to the moon by himself. So it's just a very cool way to get to see that story play out. Yeah. Um, Jack Black is narrating it. I love Jack Black. Yeah, they do a whole Wonder Years, like the older person narrating it, uh, narrating narrating over, hello words, narrating over his childhood. Um, So that's very cool. And then I just think it's, I think it's great. I think it's lovely to get to see all those very specific experiences, seeing the exact type of television shows that they would fight over in the family room since there's only one TV and they have to go back and forth. There's no recording anything. All the music that they like. It was, a they had six people in the family, uh, six kids, and they're all going to school. And so they have to make their lunches on Sunday night like an assembly line, alter sandwiches, and then throw it in the freezer so they could thaw it the night before. That's funny. Like getting to see all those specific experiences are just great. They're lovely. And also, I think you should see this because they do a spin on my notorious ship it to Africa line. 
about the leftover food or whatever. I mean, that's classic, bro. <laughs> I think you should watch it. Blew my mind in that instant. Say what? You blew my mind in that <laughs> instant. Just a comment I never thought anyone would ever make in my lifetime. Well, I'm glad that it was able to have such an impact. Yeah, such a legacy. But yeah, you should watch this one just for that. It's 90 minutes as well. It also isn't too much of a breeze because there's nothing. There's no like crazy conflict going going on. It's just us casually being brought through someone's memory of their childhood, and I thought that was quite special. Yeah, I'm giving funny. it a four out of five. That's funny because that's the same thing I feel about Turning Red. Is it feels so personal and like there's such specific like experiences that I'm watching from this filmmaker's childhood that it's interesting to like go on that journey and to like be taken to their specific experience of their specific childhood. And then I think about like how I would do that if I was to make a movie like that. And I just can't think of anything. <laughs> I guess if I thought hard enough, I'd probably remember something, but there's just like, whoa, what would you do? Play video games with me? Like, come on. <laughs> Lego star Wars, I guess maybe. There you go. Yeah. I guess there's probably some nostalgia, something I could do that were like kids in 10 years would watch it and be like, what is this? What's a flip phone? Uh, now I sound like a boomer. Let's just move on now. Now I feel sad. <laughs> wow. I feel old and sad and stupid. We brought it down low at the very end. <laughs> yep. Well, that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail.com. And please follow us on our Instagram at theboxoffishow. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about everything everywhere all at once and giving our everything everywhere all at once thoughts. Because there's going to be a lot of them, I trust me. At least for me, I'm sure, Ryan, you will have plenty of thoughts on your own because it's that amazing of a movie. Uh, make sure to give us your best rating possible on whatever service you're listening to, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or iHeartRadio Podcasts, whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, just give us five stars. We would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good one. 